Hello, welcome back. This is The Good Life. I'm Matt Carpenter. Wanted to talk today about something I've been thinking for the last several days with a few cultural interesting things that have happened. Uh, the beginning with the fact, of course, everybody knows the Supreme Court overturned the Roe versus Wade decision. That's really important. The biggest court case certainly in my lifetime in the last 40 years and for most people who are alive right now the most important positive court case that they've ever seen but there's also been a few other interesting cultural changes in the religious world you have the PCA the Presbyterian Church in America who recently had their general assembly and one of the overtures that was addressed and was voted in the affirmative is the following. It says, quote, men who describe themselves as homosexual, even those who describe themselves as homosexual and claim to practice celibacy by refraining from homosexual conduct, are disqualified from holding office in the Presbyterian Church in America, end quote. Now, this was viewed, it was a minority position, when it was first presented, it did not pass the, the required presbyteries last year in, when after it was first sent to the General Assembly and then to the presbyteries themselves. The presbyteries did not approve it, but it was approved this year at General Assembly. It was a surprise. Most of the people I talked to didn't expect that to happen. So while the PCA, who's still moderate in, in, in its its pursuit of orthodoxy. It's not a unorthodox, not a liberal denomination, but many have viewed it as veering to the left. Another denomination, the CRC, the Christian Reformed Church, the, the, the early Dutch Calvinists who have become in many ways pretty liberal, allowing women's ordination and being very affirming to many in their homosexual practice. The CRC, at their most recent Senate, voted to uphold traditional standards of sexual morality, including Scripture's stance against homosexuality. No one that I know of expected this. And the people I know are all outside the CRC, but it's even upset many of the faculty on the CRC's flagship university, Calvin College, and many of those very liberal faculty members have threatened to leave, which liberals at a college like that threatening to leave would be kind of like Judas threatening to leave the apostles because Jesus was too heavy-handed on the temple merchants. So it wouldn't have been a bad thing, really. So then the Supreme Court, of course, already mentioned the Roe versus Wade decision, but, but also this term, there have been several decisions that were really impressive. For example, there was a law in Maine that was struck down, that that law restricted government funds from going to schools where religious education takes place. So private schools who were in the past eligible for government funds, this law said, no, they are not eligible. The Supreme Court struck down the law and said, yes, they should be eligible. It's not a violation of the First Amendment. Uh, Washington State football coach, or former football coach, 
who knelt with his players at the 50-yard line in prayer after a game got in trouble because they said he was violating the First Amendment and I did not do a lot of background investigation. He was either uh, put on leave or he's resigned. I cannot remember which one, but the case still went to the Supreme Court and the court ruled that it is his right as the coach to kneel with his players. And this is in Washington State, a place that is run by Seattle. The, the majority of the, the, the geographical locations in the state are conservative, but of course Seattle, the, the one metro area, dominates the rest of the state. So these are just three decisions that the Supreme Court made that have been striking in a conservative direction. It's not that hard to understand because we know that the court has five bona fide conservative judges and John Roberts kind of goes with the wind. He's taken Anthony Kennedy's place as being the swing boat, but still he's better than Judge Kennedy was. So what does this tell us then? Well, it tells us that there's something good remaining about remaining in an institution. Now, Americans are by nature anti-institutional. We don't like entrenched institutions, especially those with any age. Because if, if an institution has existed for a long time, the longer it's been around, the harder it is to capture that institution. And many people know that if it takes more than a generation, we're not going to do it. We're not going to try. We are, by nature, cultural flyers. And by that, when things don't go our way, we sing, I'll fly away, we take off, and we say, we'll go do something else. We'll go build something else. So generally, we are bad at remaining and working. We see this back in our, our colonial history when we were colonies of the British Empire. You have the people who came to the colonies came, and I'm thinking here especially of the Puritans in New England, for whom I have a very high regard. I'm going to do a podcast pretty soon talking to, to one who is uh, an expert in Puritan thinking. But the idea that they came simply to get away from persecution is not valid. Yes, there was some persecution. They didn't come purely to get away from persecution, though. They were coming to establish a new England, an England that's better, that surpasses the old England. That's what they wanted. And it would be done through their view of further reforming the church, having societal reformation, having their laws put in place, and so on. So they were not able to capture the hierarchy of the Church of England, of the, the British crown and really make it a strongly republican democracy, at least in the way that they wanted. So they said, we can in this new world. So 
they left. Now, of course, they weren't the only people who came. You also had some who were more loyal uh, in the South, places like Virginia. You had people who were much more focused on trading in the New Netherlands, what is today New York, uh, became New York after it was taken by the English. And then, of course, in the South, the mountainous regions, the, the Scotch-Irish who were considered, well, they were just not considered very well, put it like that. So, in general, though, our culture is to leave when we can't gain control. We see this in the, the first colonial war for independence, our war for independence with Britain. Who were the first people what section was it that wanted to leave before anyone else? It was New England. The Sons of Liberty had their strongest base in New England. So they wanted to leave. We see this though later in the war between the states where the Confederate states, what we know is the Confederate states, they left after Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated. A lot of people don't know that that election in 1860, you had four different candidates running for president. The Republican Party was a brand new party. It was only formed as a response to the Whig Party who would not take a firm stance against slavery. So the Republican Party was there, and this was their first major election to win on a national level, and they did. It, it was Abraham Lincoln won, but instead of continuing to, to resist and to push, the southern states seceded. Now, we could talk a lot, whether we talk about the Confederacy, whether we talk about the American colonists, whether it was a good idea or not. Of course, you know, looking back, the standard idea is, yes, it was great to break away from Britain. The South was crazy to try to, try to secede. That's another, for another time and place. But many left, and that is our normal mode, our normal way of doing things. In our own history as Presbyterians, the, what is known now as the Presbyterian Church of the United States, the, the original Presbyterian denomination here, they had a major split in the 1930s when they had slowly been building more liberals into their positions of power. And you know Jake Gresham Machen who taught at Princeton, there was a fallout due to sending missionaries and, and how the missionaries would be supported and he wanted more strict standards, rightfully so. Gary North has great book, Cross Fingers, How the Liberals Captured the Presbyterian Church that does a good job of talking about this. But Machen was required to leave and you get the Orthodox Presbyterian Church from there. Well eventually then the there's a group who split off from the Orthodox Presbyterian Church called the Bible Presbyterians who were the hardcore fundamentalist Presbyterians who did not like a lot of the more confessional stances that they were a little bit more on the culture warrior side at the time. So long story but all this to say we like leaving now sometimes 
you have to leave. I'm not saying it's wrong to leave an organization. It, there is a time and place to withdraw, but there's also a time and place to remain. Now, once you decide to withdraw, we have to, you have to be careful also to not give in to the burn it down syndrome. There are a lot of people who are hardcore burn it downers who whenever they leave, they never leave peacefully. They always leave with metaphorical gasoline all over the place and lighting a match and throwing it. That's just how, that's the only way they know how to leave. They want destruction because somehow it gives them probably a feeling that yes I had a good reason for leaving but again that's not the most important thing when we consider whether or not to leave an institution and sometimes again like in Machen's case like in Martin Luther's case and Calvin and others during the Reformation sometimes you're forced out sometimes you don't have a choice Martin Luther did not set out to say, I want to start a separate church. I want a different organization that's going to be bigger, better, and more awesome than what the Roman Catholic Church was. No, he did not say that. He wanted to work within the bounds of the church. And it was still possible for a time for them to work within those bounds. Many don't know the Protestants actually had delegates at the Council of Trent. People who believed in justification by faith alone. People believed who believed in the Reformed doctrines of the faith were at the Council of Trent. And it looked uh, several times in history like it was very possible for the Reformation, for the best of Augustinian and Thomistic thinking to win the day and for the church to actually be purified. Luther said he would have stayed gladly. He, he would have not pressed anything else if the church had simply agreed to justification by faith alone. But they would not. So they were not trying to start a separate church. This is what happened when they stood on the principles of Scripture. So I'm not saying we should never go a different way. But as Americans, we are quick to walk away. We don't like doing the patient work of remaining. Think about Israel. How many times did Israel divide, ancient Israel? Well, one time. We know after Solomon died, there was division in Israel. And you have Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who granted made some very foolish choices in how he treated the people. They, they wanted relief from the heavy burdens that Solomon had put on them through taxation, through forced slave labor. And Rehoboam said, you think my dad was bad? I'm gonna, I'm gonna be worse. And instead of them saying, oh, well, by all means, we need to remain. No, you had ten and a half tribes who said, we're out. And they were led by his uh, commanding general, Jeroboam, who, so you have 
that group, those tribes, they leave. Their capital is Samaria. And then Judah remains. And Israel is now split. Now, in this split, the ones who left, that is Jeroboam and Israel, they were the ones who were wrong. And then after that, how many divisions do you see? Well, you don't. You, you, you see that, that they remain, and I'm especially emphasizing Judah. Judah, the people of Judah remained together through good and bad kings, through good and bad priests, through foreign attack. And the Lord always kept faithful prophets who would make the word known, no matter whether the king was good or bad. So I want to ask you this. What would happen if faithful men abandoned the PCA? As granted, I have been guilty at times of saying that that should have happened already, that there should be more who left. Or, or even what about the CRC? What, what would happen if they said, you know what, there's no hope here. There's no point in continuing to fight and work. We just need to go and do something different. And some have. From both of these denominations, you already have micro-denominations who have split off and who have you know, gone a separate way. So it's not like it hasn't happened. But still, you have enough people who are remaining that some degree of sanity has been retained. What about, and I remember hearing this uh, as recently as six years ago, what if people said this is the strategy of pursuing good judges on the Supreme Court is useless? I'm going to abandon politics. I'm going to abandon interacting, voting, and things like that because they're all a bunch of crooks. They're going to appoint crooked people. There's no point. What do you get? Well, I'll tell you what you don't get. If enough people had made that choice years ago, you would not have Roe versus Wade overturned right now. And of course, we will never know in this life all the tiny things that happened here and there to actually cause that to change. Granted. But the Lord used people who did not give up on the institution. That's what I want us to see. As I already said, there is a time and place to withdraw and a time and place to remain. Wisdom means knowing the difference. So I want to talk about now just some principles that we can apply on an individual level, on a local level, to think when we're thinking about when should I remain and when should I withdraw because my own experience as a pastor for over you know well over a decade now is that we have in, in church this question comes up regularly at what point do I back away but there's other institutions as well there are things like college boards especially if it's a private school or even a local uh, school board 
there are before I, I serve as a public school teacher. So do we just abandon those institutions? What about local politics? If you know that your local government is crooked, do you say, well, just a bunch of thieves and robbers, I can't do anything there? Or do you get involved? So how do we make the decision whether or not to stay or whether or not to leave? And sometimes it even is a question of do I move from here? Some people move. There's a huge migration of people right now moving to places where they see that there's there's already a lot of godly folks. They say, I want to be a part of that. So they move. Well, that's fine. But what happens to everyone else who doesn't move? So here are some principles we can take when it comes to whether or not to remain or whether or not to leave. This can be for your job or for any organization that you're a part of. So just a few questions to think about. Number one, what is the direct effect on your family if you leave or if you remain? And we want to think sometimes that our family is more directly affected maybe than they actually are because again our, our tendency is we like new starts we, we want to move on but it is legitimate though sometimes our family if your family's involved in an organization that has negative or toxic effects you need to get them away from there so there are times when the direct effect on your family of remaining is going to be negative but other times, if you're if, if you are the one who's more directly affected, then maybe you're called to the work of sacrificing what you what is most comfortable for you and actually doing something to preserve, to continue working and pursuing good in this organization. So so think about what the direct effects on your family are of both sides. Number two, think about what effect can you have on the organization? What is your role? Are you someone who can have an active role in changing something? And I don't mean that you change everything, but if you look at yourself and you say, I'm going to continue here no matter what over the long term, is that going to be helpful? Is it something that you can legitimately do? If the only thing you're doing is cleaning the bathroom at your organization and that's your only job well then yeah it's probably you, you don't have as much effect on the organization as if you're deciding policy or if you have a role in selecting what new what new members are coming so consider what effect can i have have you been neutered have you been muted are you able to have any type of role or have they they sidelined you that, that's something to think about. If you have been, what are ways that you could possibly get back in? So that's the second one. Number three, how many people are like-minded in this institution? Like-minded with, with you? Can you form alliances with them? Can you develop friendships or relationships that, that are helpful, that, that are good, where you can work together to pursue good things? You may only affect one small area but if you have several people who are like-minded in one area then you can affect change there so don't think poorly of that if you're the only person who thinks in your particular way in, in an organization then it's a lot harder to stay in some in a 
place like that. Number four, what is the wider trajectory of the connecting or of superior organization? So I'm thinking of something like a denomination here. Do you see the larger organization going down a bad path as well as your local organization that's connected to it? So in, in the case of the church, is the church the local church as well as the denomination, are they all going down? Or is it maybe the denomination itself is neutral or positive, but the local church is not? Well, then there are measures that you could use to try to work within your church. And vice versa. If your church is strong, but the larger denomination is not, then there are ways that you can continue working to influence maybe your your, your, your sub-organization, something that would be between the two. So in the case of a Presbyterian church, it would be the Presbytery. It may, it's not the larger synod or assembly, but it's not the local church. It, it's kind of in between. In the, the, the Southern Baptists, they have the state conventions. It's not the local church. It's not even the local association or the national convention, but the state. So just think, what are these in-between organizations, and what is their trajectory as well? Number six, how much cultural investment would you lose if you move? So if your family has a lot of ties to a church, and you've been there for generations, or let's say that you live in an area, in a neighborhood, and you've lived there for a long time, and they know your family and, and, and you know, parents, grandparents, how much are you giving up if you move? Because no transition comes without consequences. You are giving up something. If you leave an area that, where you've lived for years, you're giving up something of yourself there. If you've given to, let's say, I mean, something very practical, if you have a retirement account in an organization, in a job, in a business that, that you can't roll over, well, well, that's a that's a very direct, clear thing that you a sacrifice you're going to make. Do do, do your kids have friends? who are a part of this church or in this neighborhood, what's going to be the long-term effects for them? You know, a lot of people, and this is, again, we could get off easily here, but a lot of people think it would be great if I just move out to the, to the idyllic rural area and don't have to worry about all the problems in this one place where I live. But then think about what are your kids' prospects for, for marriage partners going to be like there? Are your kids going to did, are, are they abounding with other gregarious, wonderful, fantastic homesteading homeschoolers? Uh, probably not, actually. Uh, I'm not saying you should not move to a rural area. You should not leave where you are. Believe me, anyone that knows me knows how much I love rural areas and, and have a burden to see them uh, come to faith. But we don't need to be idealistic either about leaving the place where God has put us, we need to realize, at the very least, count the cost of the, the, the cultural investment that I'm giving up if I leave this institution, this area, this organization. And lastly, 
consider what are you moving towards? Do you have a plan or are you just going to wing it? Some people are better at winging it than others. But for many, it's it's a dangerous idea to say, you know, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I just know I don't like where I am. Years ago, something I remember one uh, mentor saying is, whenever you move somewhere, you need to move to something, not just away from something. And for institutions, we often think whatever I can find will be better than what I'm having right now. But that's not necessarily true. In fact, most of the time it's not true. If you don't have something to which you are, a place to which you are going, an organization to which you are moving and you're going to wing it, there's a lot of pitfalls there. So these are all ideas and I'm sure you could supply more, but things that you need to think about when you're weighing how much do I want to remain and how much do I want to leave because ultimately it's not about just you you may not affect the long-term situation at an organization on your own but this is this is ultimately in God's hands he has used people in times and places throughout history when no one gave any hope no one had any hope that this organization or institution or or, or place would remain but he would use a man or use a group of men and women to faithfully stand and he would overturn the bad direction they were going in and it wouldn't look like he was going to do it until the very end so just remember what our american natural tendency is which is to to quit to leave to turn over to say "I'm, i'm out of here i'm going to do something different do something new when sometimes God is actually calling us to stay and to affect good change where we are. I hope this helps a little bit and these are some things that you can think about in the future. In the meantime, take care and I'll talk to you next time.